Welcome to Glass Onion Minute. I am your host, Austin Pryor, and my guest once more is Sarah Ift Decker. This minute is minute number 93. Our minute runs from 1 hour 32 minutes and 0 seconds all the way up to 1 hour 32 minutes, 59 seconds and 24 frames. Uh, So the minute is taken up entirely by this conversation between Helen and Claire, uh, which Duke joins. And then it's uh, it's interspersed with flashback shots of Duke, Lionel and Claire looking for Andy at her home. Can we talk about the email? Oh. So now you want to talk about the email. You didn't even write back. I'm a politician. I never email anything that I wouldn't want to see on the front page of the Times. That's why I called. <laughs> we all did. Right after we got it, over and over. You, you, your phone was off. And then the whole next week. Yeah, well, I've got a new number. And when we couldn't reach you, I went to your house. Lionel and I got there at the same time. Duke was already there. Andy! Hey, Andy! The lights were out. I was pounding so hard I almost broke it down. Andy! And so we get this kind of, basically a lot of info dump in this scene, but there's also this great tension to it because Andy is trying to, Helen playing Andy is trying to get information out um, out of her, you know, interlocutors here but also not kind of give the game away and act too out of character for for andy we knocked and waited and called for you then after an hour we left birdie came back later on to check it was the same thing where the hell were you andy what time did you get there i don't know it was dark so uh what how'd you get on with this minute this is a minute that i I liked it in the overall context of the film. I'm not sure it's a minute that jumped out to me quite as much in terms of just uh, watching it on its own. There is not as many details that I found especially fascinating. Though I do think it is interesting to see Helen trying to pivot with, I would say, kind of mixed success. Yeah. When she is in a position where she's, you know, could potentially get caught out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it just it makes me think once again about like what does the caught out scenario look like for her? Because it does kind of raise this question I've kind of asked in previous podcasts, like how widely is it known that Andy has an identical twin sister? And because you kind of think, you know, if Claire you know, even earlier in the film, but we haven't gotten back to that moment yet, but we have seen that moment before where she says, like, she's she's changed. There's something there's something off, you know? Um, that would be maybe a cue to knowing that it was the twin. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess... I guess, like, the one thing I could... Well, I have, two, I have two thoughts about this, actually. One is, on the one hand, I would think they would know that she has a twin, because even if it's not the kind of information that Andy talked about a lot, these are supposedly people who were at some point close friends. Yeah, it would have to come up. So you would think they would know. They are, however, all people who strike me as so intensely self-absorbed mm-hmm. that it would take a lot for that. I can even see them like they know, but they barely even really remember. Yeah. Because why would they be taking an interest in like the personal lives of their friends? Oh, exactly. 
The other thing I will say is that I have a good friend who is a twin and who has an identical twin sister. I feel like she'd have to be acting really, really weird for me to go to this is an imposter yeah. as opposed to why are you I acting hope like she's that? okay. And yeah, to, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's and that's definitely it, because we don't in the usual run of things look for, you know, bizarre explanations or outlandish explanations for for things even when we see something that's very out of character for somebody or whatever yeah it really is like you would have to go quite far as you say um but but i guess yeah and it's it's the classic thing that comes up in so many movies of they don't know they're in a movie because people swapping identities happens in movies all the time people you know um being involved in a murder mystery that turns into a real murder mystery is something that happens in movies you know what i mean so that like um you know because we often ask questions like that like well why why wouldn't they know and uh and and the answer is often because they don't know they're in a movie you know (laughs) so they're not looking for these kind of um larger than life explanations Right. And then, of course, you know, the one exception to this overall that I won't say details because no spoilers, the only person who I would think must have figured it out is whoever the actual killer is. Yes. You'd think that that would occur to them because that's a more likely explanation. Yes, this is. Yeah, this is exactly (laughs) the other thing that's like, yeah. Um, yeah, and again, we can get into talking about that on Friday uh, because it is it is fascinating as to what's going on in the killer's mind, uh, and the killer right. just has to kind of go with it and and just uh, you know they can't r- reveal their hand; they have to just kind right. of like, well, okay, you're Andy, that's that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you um, assume, right? If every if there's you know if you assume that there is one killer and everybody else there doesn't know that Andy's dead, yeah. I can I can see why. As I said, it would it would take a lot it to go lot. to yeah, you're an yeah. imposter. Um, yeah, and the killer, yeah. So the killer not thinking of it, the killer must be pretty dumb. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that'll come up. Or Dom, even. But uh, she's doing this great stuff in this scene where she has to, like... She, she's just, like, asking for more information. She's also fighting off the drunk. And there's some great little moments mm-hmm. of her, like, very uh, self-consciously gaining her... <laughs> regaining her composure and, like, standing mm-hmm. up straight and stuff. And what I love about this is this is the movie playing with the twin trope and it's also the movie always giving mm-hmm. us just enough like because yeah. the audience could say well why didn't they know something was up and the answer is they right. did know something was up and they've said it yeah. so many times in the movies of like you know there's the Andy I know implying that she wasn't acting like herself before right. and something's wrong she's off it's off and so there's lots of that in the movie and and it kind of signposts that fact that people mm-hmm. won't will know something's off, but they won't necessarily look for the um, the outlandish explanation. And so, yeah, in her in, in as as she gets caught out when when Claire is now saying things like, uh, you know, I'm not going to email you because I don't want I'm not going to email anything that I don't want to see on the front cover of the Times, and. Uh, front page of the times i should say and that's why we called again and again and so 
now Helen is getting this information. She's been she's been looking for this opportunity yes. information and now she's getting it and she wants to ask more. But why would Andy ask more in this moment? Right. But yeah. she's and drunk. So her inhibitions about right. tactically mm-hmm. not wanting to ask those questions is reduced. Yeah. And and um, and it's just so beautiful watching it happen. And yeah. She gets away with it to the extent that somebody is saying, something's off, what are you up to? Which is like, she rolled those dice and, you know, only time and this movie will tell if she got away with it. Yeah. And even, you know, that kind of first question, right? Well, you know, nobody even wrote back. I find that interesting, right? That, you know, Claire says that line that you said, right, about, well, I'm a politician. Obviously, I didn't write back. Claire's tone is very much, what are you, an idiot? And Duke, like, puts his hand to his forehead, which feels very much like this gesture that is, like, so embarrassing that you ask such a dumb question. Yeah, yeah. Why would I respond? Yeah, yeah. And it's, and I think that's, like, one of those kind of first moments where you see the the kind of failure of Helen's acting in this scene. Yes. Andy wouldn't have asked that question because Andy would have known the answer. Yes. Andy wouldn't have expected anybody to write back. Exactly. And she would have been expecting calls and she probably was expecting calls. And um, plus, if I saw something like, you know, if I if I received an email like like that, that was just like a huge threat or a big, you know, potentially incriminating. Not there's anything that anybody could send that would be potentially incriminating. Um, But uh, my first thing would be I would call the person or go to their house. I just like I need to talk to them. You definitely don't put it in writing. Yeah. Not only that, but I just like (laughs) if I want to sort something out. I don't use email, you know, <laughs> email is like, you know, uh, can I just talk to you? You know, this could have been a phone call, you know, is the, is the classic yeah. one. But, um, but, uh, what was it? Yeah. But, but the, the kind of the low point of Helen's struggle here is like, she says, I got a new number, you know, and, and she says it like a child with this kind of like, well, I got a number, you know, and, and she's very momentarily satisfied with, with herself for thinking of it and then kind of realizes how weak sauce it is. And Claire just right. doesn't even need to say anything. She just gives her this look, this kind of withering look of like, you got a new number, get out of it, you know. Um, so it's just kind of, yeah, it's, it's a really... It's a really low point for Andy, but uh, yeah, for Helen slash Andy, I'll just, you know, you know what I mean, audience. Um, She also asks, what time did you get there? Which feels like such a like obvious investigator question. (laughs) Like it feels like a question that she got from watching like police procedural (laughs) shows. Yeah. yeah. What time did you get there? We're trying to establish opportunity. And so, yeah. So what is... Uh, and I, you know, I think we know the answer to this, but in in Helen's concept of playing the part of Andy, why mm-hmm. is Andy asking that question? You know, and, the right. only, <laughs> and it's like she's not because she's not really thinking it through. But the only thing I can think is that like she's thinking, you know, Andy's saying, "What time did you get there?" As if it was like, "Oh, I must have just missed you." What time did you get there? <laughs> right, right. And it seems like she thinks that that's working. Yeah. But, but it's terrible. Yeah. It's not working. But that's what but, but that's what I love about this scene is just it's another scene where uh, Helen is like on paper losing. But she walks away with loads more information about 
uh, she staggers yeah. away in the next minute with loads more information about um, opportunity for Lionel, um, uh, for Claire and um, and Duke, and that they were all there at the same time. Now it doesn't rule them out, but it you know it makes them maybe less likely than than um, Birdie or or Miles at this point, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah, and they we can presume corroborate each other's story. So either they're corroborating because it's true, or they're corroborating because they're all part of a criminal conspiracy. And at this point, we still probably think this, you know, it's probably just one killer. Right, right. Oh, it's also delightfully convoluted. Yes, uh, and I have a couple more fashion comments for oh, this minute. Great. Hit uh, us. First of all, that. Um, I am kind of here for Duke's, like, animal print sarong. <laughs> yeah, it is very, for, for like, a men's rights YouTuber, it's yeah. very, it's very metrosexual. And, yeah. um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, he pulls it, I don't know if he pulls it off, but it's there. <laughs> I think he kind of does, but it's interesting because it's a kind of thing that I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I'd be like, all right, like you're confident in your masculinity, which is like not the vibe usually from Duke. No, but it's, uh, yeah, I think maybe the the way had been paved in like mm-hmm. the, David Beckham in the 90s wearing stuff like this. Yeah. And um, so that it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's, it's new masculine. It's like allowed. Yeah. It's very tacky. And so that's what kind of makes yeah. it very kind of suitable for him as well. Um, and with a gun uh, yeah. you know, shoved in the middle uh, certainly adds, adds an additional vibe. Not, not here for that part. No. And yeah, this just needlessly, you know, penis threatening gun that is just yeah. like, yeah, it just draws, draws the eye, which I'm sure is the intent. But it also just right. dr- draws the, um, the image, in the mind of it going off accidentally. Yeah. This is like, why yeah. would you put it there? <laughs> of all places. Yeah, yeah. And then in the flashback, I also enjoyed, you know, we were talking about uh, Claire being very much... Yeah. Not the fashion icon of the group. <laughs> yeah. And it was this just excellent character wise, not I would yes. wear this wise yeah. outfit, which is just head to toe beige. I mm-hmm. don't know if it, I'm not 100% sure if it's supposed to be a jumpsuit or if it's just a perfectly coordinated beige top and I think beige bottom. Because there yeah. are different shades of beige and they are the exact same shade of beige. Yeah, I think it is a matching suit. I do see like a, the, the hemline of the, um, yeah. the, the, of the, of the, the, um, yeah top and so yeah it's matching but it's like it's it's a strange garment a strange pair of garments because it's like basically a tracksuit but it's like a v-neck you know kind of locust neck and she's got a chain um and then but you'd notice that it does have a hood so it's a hoodie but it's but then and then the um the bottoms are like they're not quite flared, but they're like wide. They're like parallels yeah, or something. They're, you know? they're like a cropped wide leg kind yeah, of, I think. Yeah. Which, and then uh, she's, which is a silhouette that is in increasingly, but yeah. I don't think this is how one wears it. <laughs> no, no. And just the way she carries herself in every shot of this kind of like harried soccer mom. You know, I know I keep saying the soccer mom thing, but she's just nailing it. And just like, yeah. Um, yeah and the fluffy slippers I didn't notice till just now. Yeah, it's um I don't usually notice uh wardrobe choices as much in movies just cuz I'm not, you know. 
um, uh, just because I'm hella heteronormative, so I don't notice clothing and things. Um, but uh, this movie really shines and really always gives you something to look at in yeah. that department. Yeah. Yeah, I love in the flashback when um, we see Duke pounding on the door and in his voiceover now he's just saying like, I, I pounded so hard I almost knocked it in. You know, and it's just like, it, he's telling the story of him doing everything he could to get inside and find out where Andy was, but he, he still doesn't miss an opportunity to show off about how strong he is. You know, it's like, right. oh, if I had pounded a couple more times, I would have bashed it in, rah, 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 I'm so big. <laughs> That's just perfect Duke. I mean, and that we get the, you know, because we actually get the scene, it's like, all right, I mean, you know, you're pounding pretty hard, but, like, I'm not worried about the safety of the door. Like, no. Like, you can, we can see also that it's, like, a silly exaggeration. Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, you're a big guy. I'm sure you could bash in the door. Um, but, like, do you really, you don't need to bring that up now. <laughs> you know. Especially because, like, he's, like, he's knocking. He's tapping. He's not, could yeah. he break down a door? Maybe, but he'd have to probably, like, go he like would ram slam with his whole body. do like a running start exactly. yeah go yeah, in yeah. shoulder for right like <laughs> that's how you'd actually break down the door it's like all right calm down yeah. your knocking isn't gonna break the door down <laughs> that's great so sarah it being wednesday um i'm asking you about any thoughts or any feelings about the already announced upcoming third film or just in general what you think where you think this film series could go and what potential lies within. Yeah, so first of all, I will say I do not want a prequel. <laughs> like, at all. I think it is kind of more interesting that the character of Benoit Blanc, he's obviously, you know, adds this kind of like panache and entertainment. But I like that we don't actually know that much about Benoit Blanc and Benoit yeah. Blanc's personal life is only sort of tangentially important at all in this series. His backstory isn't important. I don't care why Benoit Blanc became a detective. Yeah. I What I want is to kind of keep doing this and to keep doing stories. Yeah. Um, I do think it would be fun. So, you know, we talked about these kind of different sort of displays of wealth that we are seeing. I wonder if it would be interesting to actually at some point, especially, you know, if uh, I think the, I think part of the rationale behind the second movie was basically Ryan Johnson, like wanted to hang out in a Greek Island. Yeah. Um, I think it would be really interesting to actually have a film that is doing like real old money, like European nobility types. Yeah. Yeah, so there'd be like palace intrigue or yeah. the kind of kind of pathetic remnants of palace intrigue. Like right. they like right. yeah, like so, so people who still have like the old imperial mindset and the royal mindset right. from old Europe and their um you know, almost medieval, you might say. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I want so like Benoit Blanc at Downton. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, I want like Benoit Blanc at like Downton Abbey. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
uh yeah and so then you could just have a yeah a paper thin kind of murder she wrote set up for him where he just takes a holiday in um mm-hmm. in the uk and uh goes to some old stately home and then wouldn't you know it there's a murder um or you could of course have it that he's like uh, being called over and, and being somebody somebody pays for his flights to come over to because uh, only the great blanc can investigate Right. Well, and, you know, I will say, while while I don't necessarily want too much of Benoit Blanc's personal life, I will note that what I would be happy to see a little bit more of is Benoit Blanc's relationship with his presumed partner, who is played by Hugh Grant. And uh, unlike... Ben, and unlike Daniel Craig, uh, Hugh Grant still has his British accent. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. he. Uh, so that could Benoit be the connection. Presumably has some yeah. English oh, that's it's right there. It's right there. Yeah. That would be the reason for them to get on the plane, and um, yeah, yeah, and it could be that like. Yeah, you can imagine Benoit just being kind of awkward and fish out of water, and maybe he doesn't like planes. Maybe he doesn't like, and he just yeah. like she's that that um, that that uh, Hugh Grant's character is like dragging him along, and um, yeah, because yeah, like first time I saw this movie, I wasn't a hundred percent sure because it's like. It's I, it's pretty obvious that's that's the domestic situation they're going for, but but I did also think like, is this a pandemic gag, where you know people ended up yeah. with very kind of strange roommates because somebody right. was visiting for the weekend and then the whole world got locked down and the flights you can't get anywhere, so it's like, well, whoever you live, whoever you're staying with now, you live with that person, and um, because when he called them Blanc instead of you know. Uh, Benoit or Darling or whatever but I think like a lot of you know a lot of um, English people especially like if he's a bit posh a bit Hugh Grant and he'd have grown up like public school which is British English for private school don't know why there you go Um, and that he would (laughs) he would have had that public school upbringing where they all call each other by their surnames and it could be kind of like a yeah an affection affection thing but um yeah, so, uh, yeah, so there's all oh, this definite potential there with the, um, but then as you say, if it's European royalty, it might not necessarily be, um, be what you call be English royalties. There, there are other, and, and obviously nobility, right. not just the, not the actual like royal family themselves, but like, you know, lower levels of, 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 um, dukes and duchesses and all of that um right i mean i want like mid-level country gentry i feel like there would be a level of absurdism if it was like the queen of it yeah yeah that would would be too cartoonish yeah absolutely yeah yeah yeah. um but but uh but then it could be the actual royal family in kind of any of the other european countries because nobody knows anything about those (laughs) and like i'm i'm you know i'm an eu citizen and i just i I maybe know the name at a stretch of a couple of you know there's like there's there's most most time most of the time that i hear about any king or queen other than uh those of england i'm just going Mm -hmm. oh yeah Netherlands has a royal family. That's weird, you know, because like, because they don't act like they have one. You know what I mean? And right. you're just like, oh, they haven't gotten rid of those yet. It's it's it just feels like a formality that the, somebody forgot to sign the papers to dissolve right. the monarchy in those countries. Whereas, like in the UK, it's a huge deal and it's like a big part of their identity and all of that. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I sort of keep, I, I spent a lot of time in Spain for work stuff. So I, uh, I sort of vaguely keep track of the Spanish royal family, but really yeah. only to the extent that I know who is the king of Spain. Okay. Good stuff. King Carlos? No. Who is uh, it? Not any, so it was Juan Carlos and now it is uh, Felipe. Okay. I'll, t- I'll take your word for that. Good stuff. Um, yeah. So you're listening to Royal Watch. Um, With Byron Denniston. What is that? Oh, just a comedy bang bang reference. I oh, don't know if you listen. But uh, there is uh, a there is yeah. a character played by Andy Daly uh, called Brian Denniston, who is oh, a, a royal watcher. Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah. I think I've I think I have heard that character because I know. I, yeah, yeah. Andy Daly is great. But um. Yeah, so on the like prequel question, it's what what interests me about this is that like the first thing everybody says is I don't want a prequel and nobody has suggested a prequel. Everyone just says I don't want one, which kind of makes me think is is the idea of a prequel just kind of in the air or is it just wh- wh- why do and I said it as well, but like why do we all say that? So that's a good question because I'm pretty sure I'm saying this because while I'm I'm a little behind, but I have been listening to this podcast. Yeah. So I I don't know if the idea of a prequel was in my head before I started listening to yeah. this podcast. So yeah. it might be circular to some extent at this point. Yeah, I think I think it is, but I but I like that, and I think I think it's also like it's also just the. It's the it's the easiest thing to reach for. It's the hack kind yeah. of like, well, let's do a prequel. Yeah. You know, everybody likes prequels. Um, but and uh, I wonder also if it's sort of occurring to people because I mean because of Daniel Craig and the fact that you know Daniel Craig's first uh, you know James Bond film was essentially a kind of prequel slash reboot, right? I mean, it was yeah. like that was it was the origin story. Yeah, yeah, and so we go back because like. I definitely don't want a prequel in the sense of finding out how Han Solo got his whip or what, you know, how, you know, how, uh, right. how, how I mean, did anybody want that with Han Solo? Go, no, like, you no, know, like, yeah. Um, or, 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 yeah, the, the, yeah, I think everybody liked the, you know, that bit at the start of Indiana Jones until, I don't know, until you realize it explains that he got everything in the one afternoon, which I thought was, which I think is the, the kind of stupidest part. But it's like, that was right. just a fun opening scene and that's about all you need. But I think, I, I, I can't get the idea out of my head that you could do a kind of a sequel prequel where you do, that. there's some case that comes across the desk of um, Benoit Blanc and is it reminds him of an early case and then we cut back and we cast a younger actor to do that early case and then we have like a notebook that he's looking and that kind of justifies the flashbacks and then the interactions between the current case Mm -hmm. and the old case become surprising and there's some loose ends in the old case that connect in new surprising ways Mm -hmm. to this one so that neither past Benoit or present Benoit has all the information yet and that's part of the compelling so then you can still kind of intercut and have two mysteries Mm -hmm. intercut and inform one another and I just think Ryan Johnson would be brilliant at pulling that off and he would like I think that it's a kind of a 
when I thought of that, I was like, oh, that's a very Ryan Johnson idea. So I just, uh, you know. Yeah. So Ryan, you can have that one for free. Um, uh, Because I I was just like, I would not be able to pull that off. Uh, Obviously, I'm not a (laughs) filmmaker, but I just mean even to write that, I wouldn't be able to kind of come up with the structure for it. But just the idea of that structure, I'm like, oh, Ryan Johnson would just really nail that. Um, And it would definitely be like an early case, not a how he became an investigator, yeah. So is there somebody that you would want to be cast as the young Benoit Blanc? Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not good at this game. I'm, I, I, when people say stuff, I'm often like, "Oh, I can see that," or "Oh, I can't see that." But I can, I can rarely think of people themselves. Like, so who's kind of, yeah, if who's the young hot actor now that people talk about? I mean, last year it was Timothy Chalamet. I don't know who people talk about now, and I definitely don't want Timothy Chalamet. Uh, nothing against him, but I definitely don't want him playing Benoit Blanc. <laughs> I mean, I don't find it believable that Timothy Chalamet will grow up into Daniel Craig. Yes. So, uh, so I'm so I'm trying to think about who could be a plausible. If there's anybody oh, yeah, I've seen yeah, that it who has could to plausibly be a young Daniel Craig, and I can't think of anybody. Yeah, offhand. yeah. But then before I saw Looper, I never would have thought that Joseph Gordon-Levitt looked anything like Bruce True. Willis. But they they pulled that off, apart from his eyebrows looking weird. But it, but like in terms of performances, they really yeah. matched, and and uh, that was you know great to watch. But um, maybe that's the answer. Maybe it's just Joseph Gordon. It's probably just Jordan Gordon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like yeah. Um, that's that's just that's just your go to guy. Um, and actually, the one other thing that I've uh, that I. Had that I've come across a bunch of times in just doing doing some reading recently is that if we wanted to give Joseph Gordon-Levitt you know a more significant role as opposed to his small cameos, yeah, uh, his cameo in Knives Out, yes, is We've had this one, like yeah. a TV detective, yeah, and it could be interesting, you know, I mean, that and that would be a different kind of like, you know, like group of, you know, wealthy, powerful people could yeah. be like Benoit goes to Hollywood yeah. and ends up in some way kind of doing something around the set of this the TV show who plays that this. Joseph Gordon, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you could go all out and have Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing Joseph Gordon-Levitt who after yeah. all is an actor. Um, yeah. So Which would that, be kind of hilarious. That would be kind of hilarious, except his image as an actor is so kind of like, I don't know, I don't know how kind of widely known it is or whatever, but he just does all these kind of like um, homemade projects and he has this thing called Hit Record and he does like, he just doesn't do a lot of movies and he does a lot more of like kind mm-hmm. of interesting projects and stuff. So that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be like a fertile ground for um you know, taking the mick out of out of big, kind of a big Hollywood um, big shot or whatever, you know? I feel like you'd almost have to make him the relatable person. Yeah, you could. You could have him, um, yeah, and just have him kind of coming in and out of it. Uh, maybe yeah. make him the Daryl of it and then have some, right. have some other people. Ah, <laughs> uh, God, we need to get a writer's room together. All the um, all the glass on your yeah. minutes um, uh, people and just and just like, yeah trash it out um brian definitely needs our help yeah definitely yeah yeah and with the writer's strike on you know it's uh, we can just be scabs <laughs> mm. yeah maybe not actually maybe not <laughs> no absolutely not we stand with the writers and uh, and the actors and whoever else has gone on strike by the time this goes out um is there, are there other unions striking now 
uh, last I heard is just the writers and the actors. So I came yeah. across some interesting stuff about uh, cast and crew on reality shows, like suing over some stuff. So yeah, and yeah, because they yeah, all—they're all those reality shows. It, it it might force the reality shows to like actually define the and and calibrate the level of reality that they have because it's like yeah they have they've had writers rooms for years and they they're not reality shows you know yeah and the cast is really messy and this is based on full disclosure a tiktok that a friend of mine sent me earlier today (laughs) but uh you know so assuming this is accurate no but uh in at least some of these shows the Paperwork describes them as like independent contractors, essentially. Yeah. But the paperwork that the shows submit to the IRS treat them like employees. Oh. And apparently, if they're actually employees, there are a lot of worker protections that come in that don't apply to contract workers. That's and it amazing. seems like the shows are really kind of exploiting some of those gaps. As I said, based on this TikTok that this I TikTok watched earlier I watched. today yeah, yeah. Uh, about the show Love Is Blind, so. right, right. Um, are you uh, are you a reality TV person? Uh, sort of. I I kind of like watch slash hate watch a number of uh, of these shows of these kind of like ridiculous like dating yeah. like reality dating kind of shows gotcha. and yeah, just yeah. sort of in horrified fascination about the fact that people are like this. Yeah, yeah, but but then. Is it that there people are like this on screen when there are perverse incentives for them to act up and act out? And I mean, that's the interesting thing, right? Yeah. Is that it's never, it's kind of never clear to what extent this is actually a terrible person and how much is what they're being pushed to do, how yeah. they're being edited. Yeah. So, yeah. And the music, the scary music will tell you how mm. to feel about them. <laughs> yep. Good stuff. Uh, well, if we're talking about reality TV, I think it's definitely... Oh, and of course, reality TV. That's another place you could do a Benoit Blanc mystery. Mm, um, that would be fun. Mm. Oh, yeah, okay. Before I get cooking on that one, I'll, uh, I'll, cut, I'll, I'll finish this off here. Um, uh, so it's time to wrap it up. Thank you for joining me today once more. Any other podcast or any other social media you want to throw at us today? I'll just remind people again to check out my podcast. That is Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast. Great. And listeners can come and connect with this show on the social media platform that still refers to itself as Twitter in the about section of its own website. That website being twitter.com. At Glass Onion Min, all one word. And if you can rate, review, and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast in your podcatcher of choice, that'd be great too. Bye for now, and be sure to come back tomorrow for another Glass Onion Minute.